Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. We're starting a new series on community. As you can see in the intro, a better way, reclaiming us and we in a culture of you and me. Reclaiming us and we in a culture of you and me. Now, that's not the cozy you and me. That's like the you and me. You as in othering, you and me, I'm over here. And you know, one of the reasons it's so important that we get this church is because this is who we are. This is the way we reveal who God is in our fractured world, is through this life together. You know, in the book Symphony of Mission, the authors, Michael Goheen, they, he, said, he said, our life together nourishes our connection to God and bears his witness to the world. We need one another in order to know God and to make him known to the world. In other words, we need each other when it comes to how we live and how we interact with God. It's not just us and God. We need each other. And a few years ago, in 2018, Harvard did this, ma they did this massive survey across, I believe it was mostly the United States. And it was, it was to determine what, how connected are we as a society. Kind of interesting this happened two years before COVID. But I think after we look at the, the statistics, after I tell you the statistics, we will see why COVID became the implosion that it did. <laughs> It had little to do with the epidemic itself and it had everything to do with the epidemic that had started before COVID. This is what they found. It was over 20,000 people, which is actually quite significant when it comes to a massive survey. So it kept it, lots of different ages and demographics. 61% of young people struggle with serious loneliness. Nearly half of the respondents reported that they feel alone or left out. That's a lot of people. Almost half of this room struggles with feeling lonely or left out. I think these have just been amplified over the last several years. 43%, listen to this one, this is kind of sad. 43% claim that their relationships that they do have aren't meaningful. 43%, that's a lot of people, people. Now, if you really want something sobering, pull out your phone again. <laughs> Go to your settings. I don't know where this is if you have an Android. I just know this is where you, if you have an Apple. Go to settings. It's probably there as well. Scroll down to screen time. Open it up. Just let it roll. It'll take a time to calibrate your daily average hours on your screen. Some of you are like, I'm putting my phone away. I do not want to look at that number. Some of you didn't even know this existed. <laughs> Some of you were like, I need therapy. We can hook you up after church. <laughs> now compare your daily average hours on the screen with the daily average hours you have in face-to-face -face conversation with the human. 
not giving work assignments, but in a meaningful conversation, looking at somebody's eyeballs, not texting them across the room on your phone. That doesn't count. Everyone, can you say this with me? Say, I'm called to be different. I'm called, we're called to be different as God's people, as followers of Jesus. And that's who I'm speaking to mostly this morning. And if that is not you, there's something I hope God starts to stir in you. Maybe that desire that you really could say, I do feel lonely. I don't have meaningful relationships. Well, you know what? This is what church is meant to be about. Do we get this perfect? Hell no, we do not get this perfect. But we're doing everything we possibly can to facilitate something different than what we experience in the world out there. One of the most distinguishing marks of the early church was this together thing. Acts 2.46 and verse 47 says every day they devoted themselves. Who was the they? Well, that was the new church, the disciples, all of the people that were starting had recognized Jesus rose from the dead. God's kingdom has come to earth. Something brand new has started. We got a mission. This is the they. Every day they devoted themselves. Can you say devoted? They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple area and to breaking bread in their homes. They ate their meals with exultation and sincerity of heart. In other words, they had a party. They were praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And I love how the message translation says, translate that phrase. It says, people in general liked what they saw. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Here we have the new church. They devoted themselves to community. They devoted themselves to this gathering together. And about two weeks ago, if you weren't here, I encourage you to jump online. Not now, later during the week. But listen to Mel's message from two weeks ago. It was so good where she talked about this a little bit more in depth. But she talked about this community. This, the word in, in, in Greek is, it's not in Greek, the English word is fellowship, but it's a Greek word meaning koinonia. It's a special kind of deep-hearted friendships. And I love the word that she used, spiritual friendships. Spiritual friendships are different than the other friends that you have. Spiritual friendships are unique in that they're built on commitment, sacrifice, truth, and a common devotion or a common love for Jesus and not convenience, similarities, or shared activities. Now, there's a lot of different circles that we can have community in. You probably have community if you're in sports or your kids are in sports. That's a different type of community. It's not life-transforming. Because the only thing that can transform us inside is the life and the spirit of God. And that's something we encounter, we have to have each other. It cannot take place just you and Jesus. And see, we see this all throughout the Old New Testament. We see it through the Gospels, Jesus and the disciples. We see it in the book of Acts and the new church that was starting. And today, we're going to look at a really unique example. We are going to look at an example, Peter's example, in the Gospel of Mark. Now, this is something you can, this is, this is something interesting about the book of Ark, a book of Ark, the book of Mark. 
Many scholars believe it was the very first of the Gospels to actually go from oral form to be written down. It was the very first one. Many scholars believe that Matthew and Luke got a lot of their, their information. That's why you, you look at the Gospels, there's some similarities in stories, but why are things different? Well, they pulled a lot of their material from Mark. Now, who was Mark? Well, we're not quite sure. We have some ideas, but many people believe that he was a Peter. Mark got his Gospel accounts from the disciple Peter years after in his old age before he was martyred. But he was, Peter was recounting and giving an eyewitness account to Mark because the church had been growing. Paul had been sending letters here, there, and everywhere. And people that had never heard of Jesus were starting to become followers of Jesus. A lot of them were Gentiles. They didn't know the whole Jesus story that was rooted in the Old Testament. And this is what Paul did. He was writing these letters to all of these churches that were a mix of Jewish people who knew the Jewish story, but also Gentiles who didn't know the Jewish story. And this had been going on for decades. And finally, a lot of the disciples were being martyred. They were dying. And somebody said, you know what? We better make sure we get these Jesus stories written down while we still have eyewitness accounts. And so this is what happened. Peter was telling these stories to Mark. Now, there's something really interesting about his experience that he's telling Mark about Jesus. So when you read the book of Gospel, when you read the Gospel of Mark, there's something to note. It's not only what Mark says or what he's recorded, but also the way Mark wrote that reveals something really important. Now, we're going to read a lot of verses, and I'm going to plow through these really quick. But I want you to pay attention to a few things. There's something interesting that we discover about every instance. I'm going to read every verse that Peter has mentioned. He's also called Simon. That was before Jesus changed his name. So some of these verses might say Simon, okay? It's Peter, same guy. But I want you to pay attention to something really important and see if you can figure out what is the unique thing, not just the what, but the way Mark is writing and a message that he's trying to show us. Here we go, the first time, Mark 1:16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, as in Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Mark 1:29. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Mark 1:36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him as in search for Jesus. Mark 3.16, he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Mark 5.37, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. Mark 8.29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Mark 8, 32, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. P began to rebuke Jesus. God love Peter. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Mark 9, 2, moving right along. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Mark 10, 27 and 28, looking at them, 
Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Mark 11, 20, 21, as they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Mark 13, 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Mark 14, 27, 29, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, even though all fall away, I will not. Mark 14, 33, and he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Mark 14, 37, and he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Now see if you can see something different in this next section. Mark 14, 54. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. He was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Jumping down a couple verses to 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Who thinks they might have an idea of something significant in all of the verses, save one and the last section about Peter? What do you think it is? Let me show you this. There are two important takeaways we can learn from Peter and Mark on community. Number one, following Jesus is personal, but it's not individualistic. It's personal, but it's not individualistic. What do we see in Mark that is significant? Every verse we see of Peter, he's always among the disciples. Now, that's not just random. See, each gospel has not only a story with the details of who Jesus was and everything he did. Each gospel has a particular theme that you are supposed to read the details through. And if you don't understand the theme, you get a lot of funky ideas about Jesus and what following him looks like. Now, one of Mark, Mark has a couple themes. If you read through the book of Mark, I call Mark the Fight Club gospel. Because over and over, some of you know these stories, over and over, Jesus, when he did miracles, he said, what? Don't talk about it. Don't tell anybody. Why did he do that? Oh, there's a reason. We're not going to go into that. But another major theme of Mark is the nature of discipleship. Mark is showing us not just in the details we have to zoom out and look at the whole story. 
Mark is revealing in this very first record of the story of Jesus. So he's telling us not only the Jesus story, but he's revealing something important about discipleship. It's always in the context of community. In other words, if Peter is the eyewitness to Jesus, retelling his story to Mark, and Mark is writing it down, all we have of Peter is this we perspective, which is really odd if you're giving an eyewitness account. Mark is pointing out what following Jesus looks like. It's in the context of community. Every instance of Peter, save two, and I'm going to explain those in a minute. Every instance, he's with the three, he's with the four, he's with the twelve. They're in this group setting of them that they're with. And there's something really important for us to grasp about this. I just want to give a, if you're getting baptized, you can exit and go get baptized, or get baptized now, get changed to get baptized. You're going to come back in here. We're going to watch you get baptized. So anybody who is getting baptized, or you were wanting to get baptized today, and it's a surprise for us, we would love to baptize you too. We can do that. They're going to help you at the back. You can go out there. But we see this idea of community all through Paul's letters. You know, if you read what Paul wrote, there's a phrase over and over he uses when he's referring to Jesus. He says, Jesus, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our, the Messiah, our Lord. And in, in the New Testament, in every single letter, every one of his letters, he only says, my Lord, one time. Fifty-five times, our Lord, our Lord. It's this together thing. I want, to think, I want to show you a practical way that this works itself. I want you to cover one eye. doesn't matter which eye. Good eye, bad eye. If you only got one eye, you are set up really well to do this. <laughs> Don't cover the eye that you can see out of. <laughs> what do you notice? Your perspective is limited, yes? And depending on which eye you covered, you probably have a lot of blurry vision. <laughs> if it's your bad eye that, or good eye that you covered. Our limited, our vision is limited. And you know why our community, doing life in community in these, with these spiritual friendships, why it's so important. You know, in the same way, I need both my eyes to be able to focus and see. We need each other focused on Jesus. I need both my eyes in order to see from the right perspective. We need each other in order to see who Jesus really is and to encounter Jesus as he is and not how we think he should be. John Mark Comer, he went so far as to say this about community. He said, community will actually vet whether or not your life and your message are true to the way of Jesus or not. And what does he mean? In other words, we can't follow Jesus alone. We need this community of these spiritual friendships, this thing that marked the early church. So the first thing we learn about community is, it's personal, but it's not individualistic. And number two, here's the second important thing that we learn from Peter. We fall prey to weakness or the worst in us when we're trying to go it alone. 
And this is exactly, see, the only time we see Peter's eye perspective, in other words, he's the only one there having a conversation with Jesus, is when Jesus took him aside and called him what? Satan? That's not a positive thing. I would say Jesus is kind of revealing, Peter, you got crap in you there. But the second time was when? What was the second time when Peter was by himself, away from the disciples? When he denied him, it was his betrayal of Jesus. When Peter was trying to do it on his own, isolated, not just from Jesus, Jesus, but isolated from his community, he fell prey to the worst of himself. Something he thought and even told Jesus, I will never do that. See, if we think we can go it alone, we will end up in trouble. See, why do we need this life and community, these deep spiritual friendships? Because we need to be reminded of how much we need God. I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to forget how much I need him. It's easy to just get caught up in the routines and schedules and life and the fullness and the fun and the activity. It's so easy to get caught up in stuff that we, and we think all of a sudden we find out I, I, I can do life alone. And we kind of get buy into this thing that I can do life alone. I'm okay by myself. But this is why we need community. Sunday morning gathering is not enough. Because there's not this deep going into these, this time of people being seen, but also being there and being one that is for there for others. Our pro- hearts are prone to believe we're fine without God. But we need community to hear truth, to worship something other than ourselves, and to be reminded of how much God is for us. We need that community. And this, see, this is how it works. Early in following Jesus, early in our walk, God is often dealing with the external sins in us. Stop sleeping, with, stop sleeping around. <laughs> stop lying. Stop that bad habit, those destructive habits. Stop being such a jerk to people. Yes, we could go on. We will not go on the list. Some of, we can all relate in some way to at least one or two in that list. But here's the thing, after we follow Jesus for a while, we get kind of good at it. We get better. That's kind of the goal. You should be getting better. That is not that you're perfect, but there should be growth. How many of you can say, I am thankful I'm not who I was when I first started following Jesus? I am so thankful. And you were probably thankful too, because you would not have liked that Monica. I'm just saying, you would not have at all. And here's the thing is, we get better. We follow Jesus. We kind of get better at the external stuff. And then, and some of you might be at this point. And for every person, it's different in terms of the length of time. Some of us grow up quick in Christ. So it might be a year into following Jesus, and you feel like, man, I've made some headway. But now you feel like maybe your world, you feel like you are just the worst person ever. You know, if you read some of the letters that Mother Teresa wrote before when she was coming to the last years of her life after she had been serving and following Jesus and passionately loved with Jesus for decades, 
at the end of her life was almost sad reading these letters of hers and how how much she looked at herself and realized and just how, how I am such a horrible sinner. I'm such a terrible sinner. Or how could God even love me? Like she had such, some would say a low view of herself. But see, as the longer we walk with God, he starts dealing with the internal stuff. The stuff like, why are you responding that way when they praise you? Why are you responding that way when they criticize you? Why do you want to be on the platform so much? Why are you getting your identity from what people think about you? Or why are you getting your identity from your accomplishments? And here's a kicker. You know where those things are worked out? In community. Because that's where we're surrounded with people who not only love us, but they're people who ask us the deep soul questions that we don't want them to ask us. Like, what's something you're struggling with, honestly, in the past year? When my group gets together, we ask these questions, and sometimes they're like, why do you keep asking us questions? (laughs) But those things are worked out in this community where people encourage us, people hold us accountable. And they help us see who we really are inside that Jesus sees, but he's wanting to transform us to become something so much more. Church, we need each other. I want to invite us to stand. I love this statement. John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, he said this. He said, Jesus is forming a family not a group of individuals with radical faith. How do we respond? Well, this is what I want. This is super practical. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask yourself this question. How will I do life and community in this coming season? Before all the activities kick in, before the weak schedule gets filled with taxis taking kids here and there this activity, that activity all of the things how will you carve out time intentional time for this fellowship that transforms us these spiritual friendships that are the way we are transformed through the love of God together your transformation will not take place in isolation it can only happen in the community the community of God's church that is filled with all sorts of imperfect people That's how God transforms us, through his spirit within us together. Can you put your hand on your heart? And will you pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, would you help me with this? Because it does not come naturally or easily for me. My flesh really doesn't want to hear this. 
the anxiety in me right now is off the charts. But Jesus, you've called me to something greater. I don't want to be stuck. I want to be transformed. Jesus, link me with the people that I can run with. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, I just pray even right now. God, I pray for there just a healing to come into hearts. You know, if there's some, if you would be so bold, every time, buddy, just with your eyes closed, if you'd be so bold and say, you know what, I really struggle with this. Slip up your hand. I would like to pray with you. This is less for me. It's not for me. I need to know who you are, but it's more saying there's something about us acknowledging and saying, God, I need help with this. I really need help. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you. God, thank you. God, I pray right now. I agree. Father, each one in this room, each one watching that, Father, the idea of the kind of friendships that are more than just surface. God, where that's scary, where that's frustrating, where that's painful. God, maybe where there's been disappointment and hurt, where, Lord, there was that trust and that trust was broken and some it's left a bad taste in your mouth. God, I just pray for just your healing power today that there would be a delivering of those bad memories. God, a delivering of that restriction, those, Father, just the pain, the heartbreak. And God, I just pray, Father, those that struggle with the anxiety of being in a group, God, I pray that, Father, even today there would just be a breaking off and a freeing and even just a release of new desires that would grow in us as your people. God, grow in us to be the kind of people that we would be able to, Father, to provide that place of belonging and that place of transformation, that place of connection with you and with each other that our world is so desperately looking for. God, over almost half the people don't, I don't have meaningful relationships. God, this is who we are. Your church called to be the ones to provide what our world is looking for. We know it's you, but we also know it's this, this life together. And God, this is what we want to be. God, would you transform us in Jesus' name. And church, one more prayer. We're going to pray together. We give this opportunity every week, an opportunity for those that have not said yes to following Jesus. This isn't about whether you're a church attender. This is about whether you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And if you've never voiced that commitment, this is what we pray. We're going to pray this together, church. Can we pray to say, Jesus, thank you for everything that you've done for me through your death on the cross for my sins and thank you for rising again so that I could have new life living in mission with you. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.